Gain Podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. We're coming to you live on a lovely end of summer day in September. Uh, you don't know when in September, but this is September. And uh, today I've got Dylan Young, who is uh, the leader of customer success at Maxwell and uh, somebody who also is in the podcast game. Uh, I was lucky to be featured uh, on Dylan's podcast, which uh, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, and make sure that he gets to plug. But Dylan, I appreciate you joining us today. Excited to do this. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Happy uh, ambiguous September day. I mean, isn't that the best way to start the podcast? You know, is <laughs> just like not really tell people where they are or, or a little mystery. Uh, and I forgot to, I even forgot to mention, but the your podcast is called uh, Lifetime Value, uh, unless you've changed it. No, I have not. Okay, have Lifetime not. Value. Uh, so we'll make sure and and link those. But I know you had season one. Uh, you were just as we, we uh, before we pressed record, you were mentioning that you've got season two coming up. So uh, excited to see you keep doing that. Uh, I'm also excited for those who uh, can't see, and it's really an audio format, so you're not going to see. There is a... <laughs> Paint the visual picture for there's me. There's a... Let me let me describe Dylan's setup right now, which is a, a lovely looking couch. Looks very comfortable. Uh, gray couch. Nice green room. Uh, he's got his podcasting setup. And then let me tell you, he's got the manly setup. He's got an axe above his head, and he's got two pictures which of uh i believe are of buffalo or bison uh either one yeah. but this i yeah. mean this is this is it really quick it has tapered off only slightly but for the most part anybody who has seen any episode of the uh of the LTV podcast has seen this setup but me behind a desk oh right okay. yeah uh and so this was of course also my zoom background for all of my work meetings and for the longest time, there was not a single meeting where somebody wasn't like, well, check out that axe. Aren't you some sort of backwoodsman? Let me just dispel for everybody who is imagining me in this setting. I live in a very nice southern New Jersey suburb. I am the least likely person to use an axe. That's why it's mounted on the wall. I've never seen these bison. This is a two-pack from Target. And so I don't want you guys to get any sort of ideas about my capabilities. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you uh, dispelling the notions. Um, really what killed me was the two pack from Target because I know what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. I've been yep. there. I've been, yep. Oh, that looks good for my office. Let me snag wow. that real quick, you know? Yeah. Um, exactly. All right. We like to jump in with a, a couple of icebreakers. Um, I've got some standard ones. So if you've listened to the podcast, you're probably expecting me to answer, to ask some standard ones, but I've, let me tell you, I, I'm hot on the trails. I've got some new ones that I'm coming oh, out with, I wasn't um, ready. which you're not, you're not going to be ready for these, uh, especially given our conversation about five minutes ago before we pressed record. Um, uh, what is the most unlikely bug you're willing to kill in your house? You know, what do you, what's something that's, you know, around and like your wife, you know, somebody in your family yeah. is like, Hey, I, you got to come take care of this. And you're like, I, I'm not taking care of that. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. So I don't know how common these are because I had never experienced these before. Somehow, this is not a, a veiled joke, before meeting my wife. 
and maybe that's because I had only recently moved to South Jersey when I met my wife. It's a thing called a spider cricket. Are you familiar with spider crickets? I don't think that I am. Yeah, by the look of your face. So they are spiders that are also crickets, meaning they look like spiders, but they jump like insanely high and far. This sounds terrifying. And they're skittish. So if you like sneak up on one and they they will jump like out of your line of vision. And so, yes, they are terrifying. It's horrifying. And they get huge. Oh they get gosh. huge. So you, if you find the baby ones, that's your opportunity. Murder <laughs> that SOB. <laughs> because if you don't, it's going to turn into like, it'll be like half the size of your hand. Just living in your basement. You can almost hear them down there, like bouncing off of walls. Oh, horrifying. Man, horrifying. that... Uh, I can appreciate that, you know, um, but I'm with you. Get them, get them early. Um, you know, I think I respect animals. I like a lot of animals, but insects and some bugs, we got to spider crickets aren't doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. We got to take care of some stuff. Um, all right. I appreciate (laughs) you. I appreciate you jumping on the first one. Um, the second one is, uh, one that I've, I've, uh, found more recently that I've, uh, come to appreciate, but if you could eliminate one, uh, one form of communication, and I'll give you an option, but one form of mm-hmm. communication uh, across your entire life, would it be phone calls, emails, text messages, or Slack? Which one are you most likely to get rid of? This is personal or professional or both? This is both. That means like if you, so if you were to say, hey, I'm going to eliminate phone calls, it's like, cool, you're never getting a business yeah. phone call or a personal phone call again. Um, Slack. Slack because I feel like you need you need a, yeah, yeah. Uh, an explanation here. Slack because it just kind of sits in the gray area between all of those. Yep. Like I could go back to email being my primary form of communication. Uh text messages you just they're so ingrained in your daily life like I don't have another way to communicate with a lot of people other than yeah. text message whereas with slack i yeah phone calls i like a good phone call i'm a i'm a i'm a phone call fan i right i like it i i actually i could expect that from you because i think you like to buck the trend sometimes like i i see you as a good walk and phone call kind of guy like hey let's take this let's take this on the walk i also have just um i'm not a i don't brag a ton but i've been told so many times that i have a great voice <laughs> i gotta find a way to use it yeah, right, yeah, Jeff? yeah. Because my wife's not listening to me. Yeah. Someone else has got to hear this voice. I mean, that's why we start podcasts, right? Is because our wives aren't listening to us. So we have to. <laughs> um I I uh I'm I'm gonna go by the way with uh email. And the reason I'm saying email is hmm. what I would hope I would the problem. So you hit the nail on the head, which is basically like all of these things basically have become microcosms where it's like I only slack at work, I only text pretty much everybody in my personal life. Uh, email is kind of a mix of both. I would just like every, I would just like those text forms. Like if we could just get, it's like if all of my text messages showed up in Slack or like vice versa, I know that sounds weird. Cause then you'd be mixing like business with, with your personal life and stuff. But like, can we just get it into one? Like, I just don't like going to all these different apps to do stuff. And so uh, I'm out on email though. I just like, let's just make things a little bit more quick. That pace, existed a more... for a while though. Didn't it? Like I Ooh, remember yeah. years ago, there were apps like I think I had an Android at the time where you could like import all of your communication channels 
like Gchat and your email and your text, and it would just live in a single app. And that was, gosh, it had to be like 10 years ago. And so I have to imagine that they have since like evolved that. Let me tell you, it's tough. Right. I've looked it up. I just have recently tried to find one. Uh, okay. Nothing's really suit my fancy, but yeah. uh, but I'm with you, you know, like you just, there's too many things out there to keep track of. And um, I'm actually starting to come around now on Slack. Now that you said that, now I'm kind of like, oh, maybe I eliminated the wrong one. So yeah, because with email, how would you get all of the very important coupons to every <laughs> website you've ever signed up for? I mean, if how you want the 15, if you want the $15 off, you got to sign up. Exactly. Or yeah. else you're not going to get it. You can't go to yeah. the website and find that's it. That's exact. That's immediately what I thought of. I yeah. need those. Um, all right. Well, now that that's over, we can get to the real stuff that people want to hear us talk about, which is uh, riding bikes, drinking coffee, and smoking cigars. Just mm -hmm. kidding. That's not what this podcast is about. Um, so you're gonna have to provide context for that, right? <laughs> if like... I uh, I did ask Dylan if he was gonna build a community around uh, a hobby or a passion, those were his: uh, riding bikes, coffee, and or smoking cigars. It could be a combination of all three, or it could be. Each individual one has its own community. So I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. All right. We're... I, I stand by it, by the way. I stand by all three of <laughs> those. Those are all things. three still, still, those are three still relevant. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the interesting things that we were talking about before this was just the um, idea that there can be lots of theories. There can be lots of ways to get things done. You can observe a lot of what other people do. You can kind of take in um, and kind of hear from other teams, right? Like, hey, this company went public. They were so successful. Hey, their NRR is above 100%. Hey, their yeah. GRR is up 90 plus percent. Like, hear all these great things. But um, when it comes down to it, a lot of our situations end up being unique. And so a great deal of our time as leaders goes into... How do I take kind of what I've seen, what I've heard, ideas that I can find, and how do I implement them into kind of a situation of where I exist today? Um, and how how have you looked at approaching that? How do you kind of go, let's just start saying kind of building that puzzle of like, okay, how do I start even piecing together? How am I going to structure this? How am I going to make sure it works? You know, like, how do you start even just kind of gathering what that picture looks like? Yeah, I think the first step is is really easy, right? Like the easiest answer to this is, well, your direct supervisor tells you you need to start achieving something, right? Yeah. Uh, whether it's expansion of X dollars every quarter or it is a churn rate that is 10% or less, right? And from there, you start to... Where I always go, look, hey, I am a uh, a habitual offender of my own theory. <laughs> First thing I do is I go to Google and I'm like, all right, well, so like how are other people doing this, right? Uh, and what we discussed is this idea that you need to understand very crystal clear what your goal is within your organization, what levers you have to pull within your organization, they're not always going to be the same. And they're certainly not going to be the same as the first article you find on Google. And then you've got to understand how it is you, you build that process for pulling those levers. 
I don't personally create a ton of process around that to begin with. It's more like, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? What do we think we can do? Google's going to help me figure that out, right? Like what are the different motions I might yep. do to reduce churn? Oh, well, I might start uh, having renewal conversations earlier, uh, yep. more days out before the termination window. Yeah. Well, how do I uh, increase expansion? Well, I probably would start by increasing the number of calls I have with my customers where at least one agenda item discusses you know, how they're solving the problem of whatever other product I might sell them could solve for them today, right? Yeah. I would just increase the number of things. Those are super inelegant examples I just gave you, right? But you would ultimately want to want to sharpen that knife. Yeah. But before you can do that, you've got to see, okay, well, if I increase that number or I reduce that number, is that actually getting me closer to whatever the goal is that my direct supervisor told me to get to? That was all really ambiguous. Did it make sense to you? It does. And the the I think the piece, um, I don't think it was as ambiguous as you thought. Because I think the piece that that to me that I find um, maybe most interesting is oftentimes we kind of walk into a situation or you can see leaders approach a situation and they just kind of say, hey, we're going to start doing stuff before they even, like you said, before we've even identified what metric do we need to move? What's the needle that we need to like really get in at is they just start saying, okay, we're going to do welcome calls. We're doing renewal calls. We're doing QBRs, yeah. right? They all just kind of come in and say, Hey, th these are the things that we're always going to be doing. Um, and they haven't even really taken a step back to say, okay, you know, is this a gross retention problem or is this a, uh, you know, uh, an activation or is this a net retention problem? Hey, are we, do we not have enough opportunities? Right? Like, just like you said, mm -hmm. I think, um, once we can identify what's the lagging metric that we really need to impact for the business, then we can start working our way back to saying, I think the examples that you gave, right. Which are the leading indicators. Okay. How do I get, yeah. how do I get higher net retention and, you know, higher upsell cross sell? Well, clearly I'm going to need to talk about it more with my customers. How am I going to talk about it more with my customers? Well, that means when CSM is going to call, we need to make sure it's on their agenda and we need to go, you know, make sure that they can have the right conversations and do it. So I think that's the the kind of the point that I took away is that, yeah, when you kind of think about it for a minute, uh, there's a lot of just kind of prescribing before we've actually even diagnosed like what we really need to go do just to, Hey, I got to get stuff done. Somebody feeling like, Hey, I'm, I'm 30 days in 60 days in 90 days in, I just gotta, I gotta do something right. Like that's just kind of what I feel like people end up doing a lot. Can I throw you a curveball that yeah. we did not talk about before this totally derailed the conversation? No. Uh, what I think we in customer customer success is like 99% of what I talk about um, in all of my conversations, except those with my, my wife and my friends. Right. Uh, what's funny to me is how little we tie customer success and everything that we are now that everybody in the community is now saying like the things we do. Right. So like, let's define a goal. And then let's create a plan on how to achieve that goal. And then afterwards, we'll do a postmortem on that plan to see what actually was successful and what wasn't. You know what that is? That's project management. Yeah. That is literally Six Sigma, like 101. Why isn't anybody talking about that, Jeff? 
<laughs> well, I mean, and honestly, like, I think the other thing too, that you're the, if you look at some of the other stuff that people are putting out right now, right. It's like, well, we need to learn other parts of the business and we need to learn how mm-hmm. finance yep. works and marketing works. And, yep. you know, I don't know. Do we tell sales leaders to go do that? You know, do we tell like, you know, I, I think we've maybe, unfortunately, I think that, um, customer success leaders have kind of gotten this rap of, Hey, we're like the touchy feely people. We want to make customers feel good and happy. And what that means is then we don't know how the business runs. Uh, that means we don't understand how, you know, our renewal cycles work and how much cash that actually means we have in the bank and, you know, what our CAC ratios are and why that matters Mm. to the business and how much it is for a cost per renewal. Like, um, so I think that's that also is like working against us, right? Is we kind of have to go in and combat that in almost every situation because everyone's telling you, well, do you know the business? And have you talked to your finance partner? And have you talked to your other leaders? And um, but I so I think we're we're always kind of in that step back of uh, when you look at other leaders, right? Like we're not telling a marketing leader to do that right now. It's because pre- it's presumed that the marketing leader comes in and understands that already. They already know what their ratios are. They are, they understand what a cost per lead is how it's going to like the mechanics of lifetime value are going to work for the business sales leader does that. So I think it's interesting that we've kind of been put in that box for. I don't think it's interesting. I I think it's interesting, but I'm not surprised at all. And the reason I'm not is because all of the examples we always give, I've done it a ton. When I talk to people too, we talk about sales, we talk about marketing, we talk about accounting. Those are literally like aside from marketing and and you can make an argument that it is are literally thousands of years old professions. Customer success is 18 years old. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we can, like, maybe we we uh, repeat that just so people understand. Like, every other profession, engineering, not in its current state, but engineering as a general principle, right, also included in there, have been yeah. around for hundreds or thousands of years. Customer success has been around for less than 20, okay, in its in its title. Right. Yeah. 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 And so absolutely freaking, of course, they understand that stuff better. Their metrics haven't changed materially in multitudes longer than customer success has existed as a profession. Okay. Right. CAC is not a new thing. (laughs) You know, when it comes to accounting and and understanding, you know, uh, those sorts of principles, Absolutely not a new thing, right? The the vernacular might change based on new technology or new methods, but the idea is very, very similar to what it has been for a very long time. And it's another bone to pick I have with customer success. Is not a bone to pick, I shouldn't say, but something that we should all keep in mind is that every, almost every customer success organization is in some way unique. Yeah, You can't say the same about sales. Like sales is... You know, you got inside sales, you got outside sales. Sometimes you got sales engineers. Sometimes you got solution architects. But like, that's a, what I just described is a very advanced department. You could just have salespeople. Yeah. Right. But they're all moving towards the same thing. In a lot of cases, customer success, they're not in organization to organization. They're not even moving towards the same target. Yeah. Some have retention goals. Some have expansion goals. Some have neither. I don't know how that works, but some have neither, some have more. And so it's really key for folks to remember that your organization 
does not walk or talk exactly like a, or your department within your organization does not walk or talk exactly like another CS department at, at your buddy's company. The, um, the, and the thing that I think right now, uh, like you said, we've kind of, we've evolved, we've, you know, it's been 18, 20 years. We're starting to, um, progress, you know, more than we have. I think the other thing too, is just not to get caught up in these hype cycles and waves that come and go, right? Like there are some things that I just, um, you know, scaled customer success is like the thing I talk about it all the time. I think, you know, I'm, I'm right there. I'm one of the hype men, number one, but I'm not saying abandoning, you know, one-to-one enterprise touch type of CSM motions or high touch type CSM motions. I'm just trying to get leaders to think, um, okay, how, how do I help these things scale as I grow in our customer base? Right. Cause not everyone can have the one-to-one motion as much as you want to say, Hey, yeah, we can do this yep. for all of our customers. I mean, the likelihood is we can't at a cost that is going to be prohibitive to the business. So I think the other thing too, is like you were saying is that these, there are these cycles that are going to come and go. Um, and you can't be afraid to test things. Uh, this is actually going to be one of the things I was going to talk to you about is, um, you know, I, I have also have this kind of fear of, of, customer success teams right now have gotten into this stage of, well, if I try and test something and then the customer gets mad and they leave, you know, that's a bad, that's the, the, it's like the worst outcome that can happen. And that's, Mm -hmm. I feel like in my mind, a very unlikely scenario is that we do, we run run a test and something goes wrong and that they're going to leave just because of one thing. So I'm curious how you, how do you approach kind of rolling things out to your customers, you know, uh, as you know, your team, or if it's a new process, if it's a new meeting cadence, if it's a new digital touch point, like what's your kind of style of like, Hey, we need to push the needle a little bit. We got to test these things. You know, do you kind of roll it out to all customers and say, Hey, we're just rolling with it. Or is it like, Hey, we have a cohort. How do you kind of bring that testing mentality? Well, I think the way we handled decisions at my organization, just kind of like, let's talk really high level is, Customer success has a lot of opinions about how it might affect the customer experience. But if product tells us that they've got to roll out a wholesale change to the product to every single customer, and it's got to happen within four weeks, there's a there's a point where we just have to trust that the product knows what they're talking about, right? And it is then our job as customer success or ancillary departments to support that decision based on our expertise. So first and foremost, I think that's a really important thing to point out is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a team sport. And in a lot of cases, you get to trust that that other person's going to make the shot, right? Yeah. Um, okay, beyond that, I have an overall theory as it relates to changes like that, that if a customer success manager or other customer success professional is doing their job and has developed the relationship in the right way. And I don't mean touchy-feely, empathetic relationship. I mean vendor to uh, purchaser, customer to vendor relationship. uh, Then a single mistake should not sink the ship. And if it does, I would argue that you didn't build the relationship properly. You weren't following the right steps. You weren't doing the good work. And there was something else going on with that customer. So with those two ideas in mind, the way we roll stuff out, first of all, we understand what the uh, the ask is from either from 
internal folks, somebody in CS says, hey, I think we should make this change, blah, 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 or product makes a change or accounting makes a change, right? Invoicing is a huge thing for any company and their customers, right? You change something about invoicing, you are bound to get some complaints, right? <laughs> um, and then we th that helps us understand what our parameters are, right? I mentioned the the timing thing. And most often, what I will say to whoever is asking to make the change is, okay, who do you, who? What is your theory about who would be most impacted by that? Let's ask the CSM who's responsible for those folks. Yeah, if they agree with that theory, and let's create a damage like prevention plan or a playbook. Yeah, and that doesn't stop us from making the change, but at least now we're prepared if it backfires. Yeah. I think the only thing that I would throw in there that's, um, and you said this earlier, you probably just didn't think about it right now, but also is like the hypothesis of the change, right? So by mm -hmm. doing this, we think X is going to happen or Y is going to happen. So like giving the team some of that context, I think is also kind of going into that. Okay. We're making this change because, uh, you know, we think it's going to, if, like you said, let's take your example of like, hey, we're going to push the renewal conversation out a little bit further. Great. Yeah. We think if we think if we have it 20 days earlier than we do today, you know, that's actually going to decrease our cancellation rate or churn rate by 7%. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's the hypothesis going in. Now the team has a little bit of that context, like you said. But the other thing I really liked that you pointed out, which I think sometimes people gloss over is like the... Um, you didn't say, Hey, I come up with a plan. And then I go to my CSM team saying, Hey, here's how we're going to go do this. Right. You, the way you started was, Hey, let's, let's collaborate on this and figure out, okay, who are the most likely people that are going to, you know, that this might affect or impact, you know, negatively, yeah. how do we, how do we make sure and kind of get ahead of that? But now you've got the team building it alongside of you. Now they're going to be much more invested. Hey, I'm telling you the context of why we're making this change. Hey, I'm including you and in, you know, which customers or segments do we need to go after? How do we need to be thinking about rolling this out? great. Now they're involved. And then you just lead them into the, okay, well, how do we build the process? Um, and hopefully at that point in your mind, you've already got it baked out, or maybe you already have a couple steps. Um, and now they're much more likely to say, oh yeah, we should do it that way. Or we like it. Right. But I think sometimes people come baked in and then teams like revolt against it. And they're like, well, I just need them to do this. And it's like, you know, in this yeah. stage of, of managing that we're in, you have to get people on board and you need to do it through like a series of steps, like you were just talking about. So what I may have misunderstood from your question is that I was the one responsible for making the change. And so again, yeah, I would go off of, you know, the example we used before is if my direct supervisor says, Hey, you need to hit X goal or like, you're already, you're already expanding by 10% every quarter. We need you to get the 12%, right? Or we need your NRR to get to 112%. It's 110 yep. today. Well, you can attack that from two different ways. It's either expansion or further reducing your churn. You've got to do all types of analysis around, okay, what's the easiest for me to go after? What's the lowest hanging fruit? What has the, uh, where can I spend the least amount of resources to accomplish the goal that I'm being told to accomplish, right? Yeah. So that's how you'd build it. I think the other thing to, to call out is that should happen once Jeff, that, that idea should come out of left field specific to this example. And then, you know, the one thing we had said prior is you should have a consistent method for measuring the success of whatever that motion is that you stand up. 
Yeah. Because you shouldn't, somebody should never have to come to you again and say, okay, now I need you to increase that to 113%. It should be built. And this is another six Sigma thing. It yeah. should be built into the motion, a constant post-mortem or iterative process to try and improve upon the performance of whatever that process is. Today's episode is sponsored by Higher Logic Vanilla. Stuck in the past with one-to-one -one engagement? With Higher Logic Vanilla, it's time to move past the status quo and go one-to-many. We call it scaled customer success, and it starts with community. More than just forums, community is the destination for engagement the place where customers become champions and build stronger connections. So let's go one-to-many together. Visit vanilla.higherlogic.com to shake up success. The, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and I'm with you too. Like I think far too often um, what tends to happen, right, is we kind of get into these internal cadences of meetings where you just come say the same thing or you just kind of come yeah. and go through the motions, right? And <laughs> I mean, I like your point where it's like, hey, we, if we have a metric that we're looking at, it's important enough that we've stood up a motion around it, we've got a consistent look at it, then it should be that we're almost uh, uh, adding and taking away ideas, right? Hey, can it, if we did this, can it improve it? If we, you know, reduce their workload, you know, is it going to help? Like what, like how can we kind of swing this? Uh, so I, I like that point a lot. You, uh, you've brought up Six Sigma a couple of times. Um, are you Six Sigma certified? And is that, uh, do you feel like that's been advantageous for you? I'm assuming you are. That's why I just said it's advantageous. Yeah. So I'm certified in the way, um, a lot of people get like their CPR certification, like once every couple of years or whatever. Yeah. Six Sigma certification is, I believe it's lifetime, right? Like yeah, it's, I think it is. Perpetual. Yeah. So you get it once and, um, you never have to do it again. So let's be clear. I'm not, you know actively like, practicing well i mean look i think to an extent right i'm not that militant about it i think it's advantageous because it has taught me that no detail is too small necessarily in pursuit of performance improvements and you can apply those same principles to your personal life like if you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to like increase your uh, the amount you can bench press, or you're trying to reduce uh, the time on your mile in a run, you can apply Six Sigma principles to any of that stuff. And it is just, it is the, the as far as I understand it, right, Lisa, so no, I haven't, I haven't done a ton of research on this, but it's, just, it's essentially the gold standard on um, systematic improvement of a process or emotion. So look, yeah, from that perspective, it's absolutely advantageous. I know exactly where I need to go if I'm struggling to improve upon a process. That's probably the first place I'll go is I'll I'll dig deep into my <laughs> Six Sigma uh, manuals that are over here collecting dust. Um, is it as advantageous as it could be? Am I using it every single day? Am I uh, a consummate professional with it? Absolutely not. But we all got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um but I think the uh, the the point or like the thing that I'm taking away from how you're thinking about this too and how it applies, right, is this, um, again, I think sometimes what tends to happen in teams, especially in kind of B2B SaaS customer success teams is we kind of float in and out of what's important, 
at different times, right? And the business needs different things at different times. But I think far too often, it's kind of like things float in and they float out. And the context is not there for the teams. And there's not kind of a uh, a concrete feeling of like, okay, we're stopping this or we're doing that. Um, it, it just yeah. tends to be more of like this fluid motion. And I, um, I think I, I usually have problems with that, right? Like I, if I see something once in a meeting, I tend to not forget about it. So then if I don't see it again in the next meeting, or if I don't hear about it for three You're months, like, hey, it's like, okay, it? yeah. yeah. Like why, why? So we measured it once and then we're not looking at it again. So that's just, I think the, I think the point that, um, and this is, you're not directly saying this, but this is like through some stuff that I'm working through myself right now too. Like, I think the thing is how do we prioritize and get down to a much smaller amount of things that we can impact in terms of a metric, in terms of a, an outcome. Um, and how do we get much more clear on like, okay, that is the metric instead of saying, these are the seven, that is the metric that we're trying to impact. And here's the ways that we're trying to do that. Because I think, again, we just, it, it tends to just kind of stuff yeah. gets packed on and added on. And then all of a sudden we're like, wait, we're doing eight things, trying to impact eight metrics. Nobody really knows what's going on. The context is lost. And then we're just kind of in the motion of like, just doing action. So I already get, maybe turned this on its ear once and I'm going to do it again. I don't know that that, what you just described is truly a problem, right? Hot take. But the reason I don't think so is because if you can do the same motion, let's use a uh, a hot button example, QBRs. Yep. And you can, within the same amount of effort and time, run the same QBR but impact eight metrics instead of two. I, I personally don't care how many metrics you apply to my performance measurement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the thing. When I took over my team here at Maxwell, it was a thing that I laid out for them very early. I said, it's likely that we will have many more expectations for ourselves going forward, many more goals to hit. But the idea, and I likened it, my my first example was terrible and I, I got better with it. My first example was we're on a train, right? You are the uh, captain of that train, pilot, conductor? engineer, conductor. Yes, there you go. Yeah, I know <laughs> I was trains. going to get there eventually. <laughs> um, the worst thing you can do is it, you standing on that train is what gives it power. You're shoveling coal in the engine or whatever it is, right? The worst yeah. thing you could do is let's depart from this analogy completely and say you have to get off that train and run off of the tracks to go update a spreadsheet about a subset of your customers right yeah that takes away your momentum from everything you're working on hey i i can't spend my time managing my customers because i'm busy managing all these spreadsheets that are just about my customers yeah. But maybe they're not as up to date as they could be because I'm not having conversations with my customers because I'm updating sales in the spreadsheet all the time. So that was my original analogy. It stinks. The what I came to was the flywheel, right? And that's this is a standard one. Uh been around for a long time. But this idea that every single thing that my CSMs do, my team and I do, should be adding energy and momentum to the flywheel. 
nothing they do in a day should be in any way taking away from the energy that they put into that flywheel every day, right? And you work on that flywheel for one day, it doesn't necessarily result in five grand in expansion or 10 grand in expansion or reducing your churn numbers. But if you do it consistently every day for 90 days, 180 days, 365 days, that thing should be humming, man. But it has an exponential detriment if you stop cranking that flywheel and you go update a spreadsheet or you've got to send out a bunch of invites for an event that we're attending in a couple of months, right? So the more things we can do within our standard motions, our QBRs, our biweekly meetings, uh, analyzing their data within our system, understanding who's at risk, the more stuff we can do that fits within those motions and then gets put into a system that we're already in all day. In our case, it's Salesforce, maybe in the future it's CSP. Uh, the more powerful we're going to be. And then I don't care how many metrics you have for me, as long as they all are related, yeah. right? And they're all a result of the work that we're doing on a regular basis. If you tomorrow told me that one of my metrics was, uh, I'm trying to even think of something that's totally unrelated, like, um, making sure invoices were accurate. That is so unrelated to what my guys should be doing on a regular basis that, yeah, absolutely. They're sharp individuals they could do it. But is that, does that have benefits accretive to everything else that they're working on on a regular basis? No. Yeah. And so if you create a incentive for them to maintain that one performance metric, it's going to be cannibalistic or detrimental to all the other ones. So if we can if we can eliminate those and instead all of their performance metrics are in some way related, sisters, yep. brothers, cousins of one another, then I, I stand by the fact that I don't care how many you give them. Yeah, but I think that's the um, I think your point too that like rings true right there too is also just thinking about the level of effort, right? Like too yeah. too often I think we kind of miss what's the level of effort for us to achieve X and uh, do it in a really good way versus, you know, spending time uh, doing Y. And I think sometimes we miss that fact, like, Hey, we, we do have the ability to kind of shift resources, move priorities as leaders, right? We need to be thinking about, okay, if this is what we need to be doing right now, okay, how do we best achieve that? Um, and in some cases it might be, Hey, I need to move two people over here to do that. And, they need to do it for three months or, Hey, we need to get some technology put in place to help us achieve that and do X, Y, and Z. But, um, I think the, uh, kind of moving around of pieces and understanding that you have these pieces to kind of use at your disposal to achieve, like you said, whatever is the directive, right. I think sometimes we kind of miss that. We kind of assume, well, I just have a bunch of CSMs. I can't, you know, I can't go do X without something else, like without Y or without, you know, a different role. Um, you don't always need to be additive. It's like, Hey, we might need to kind of shift some of these responsibilities around. Sure. Yeah. But there's always the argument of highest and best use. Like yep. if you've got this kind of like rinky dink or heavily manual, low value task. I mean, the worst thing you can do is have every CSM do that some of the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't think it's that much better to take a CSM that gets paid as much as the other ones, right? And has the same expertise as the other ones, uh, relationships built as the other ones, and tell them to do that task all day, every day. I mean, that's not the 
most efficient use of their time, right? So like yeah. there is, I understand why people say, yeah, I need a specialized role for this. Um, and that would be the best way to do it or install a piece of technology, uh, get rid of that rinky dink task altogether, minimize the amount of time is spent on it and then minimize the impact to the most of your team as much as yeah. possible. Yeah. Um, well, and Dylan, that's I... scale, Jeff, that's scale right there. There is. I mean, I think, you know, we could go on a whole another debate <laughs> about how, or uh, another conversation that about how people misrepresent scale for meeting just automation and emails, uh-huh. uh, which, yep. you know, that gets me all hot and bothered. So, uh, we'll save that one for another time. Um, but this was, I like this a lot. I think there's a couple of, uh, takeaways. I always jot down a few things, um, during these, the three that I wrote down was, uh, the prioritization piece. Like you said, I think, um, what are we getting people to do, um, in their roles? How are we getting them to do that? Uh, was something I, I took away. The second piece was, uh, similar to what you just mentioned at the last part, which is that we have resources, uh, at our disposal and we need to be figuring out what's the most effective use of their time um, and how do we make sure and put them in the best position to be successful. Um, and then the last one uh, that I wrote down here too is the um, idea that if we're measuring something, then we need to be measuring something that's impactful that we feel like is actually something that we're going to uh, put ideas behind. Are we going to improve it? Or are we not? Uh, again, I think far too often we get into meetings and look at metrics and then somebody says, cool, looks great. Instead of thinking, okay, how do I improve it? What are the hypotheses on, you know, moving it up or down? So uh, those are three takeaways that I had from our conversation. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that last one is the value still there, right? I yeah. mean, when you is decided to start measuring that thing might've been valuable, might not be anymore. You should yeah. always be asking that question too. Yep. Uh, well, Dylan, this has been awesome. Uh, where can people find more of you and uh, your work and all the stuff that you're doing in the community? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's no different than anybody else. LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Um, just put in Dylan's spelled D-I-L-L-O-N, uh, and you should be able to find me. You can also find the page for the podcast, Lifetime Value, uh, on LinkedIn. And you'll probably see a couple of posts from me that link back to it. Shouldn't be hard to find. Awesome. And we'll make sure and link those in the show notes too. Uh, yeah. All right. I hope you have a good weekend uh, at, on this erroneous or this random uh, September day that nobody knows about uh, that we're having right now. And uh, hopefully the weather starts breaking soon. Jeff, it's great to see you, man. Always have good. a good rest of your day. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try. I was going to say, I'm going to go outside and enjoy the weather, but you know, I just got back from like seven days of vacation. So that's a huge lie. You know, I'm, I'm buried and, uh, work back here. All right. Well, you've ruined it for the audience. They <laughs> could have uh, at least been blissfully ignorant of your misery. That's true. They wouldn't have known <laughs> the difference. No. Uh, all all right. right. We'll see you next time. All right, Jeff. Take care. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community 
It's gangrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in-person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.